Buffalo Bread Podcast. I, I, uh, this is going to be another hard one, Dan. Uh, and so we are going to recap the 3330 overtime loss to the uh, Kirk Cousins led uh, Minnesota Vikings. Um, it was a crusher. It was a, not going to lie, it was a crusher. Uh, <laughs> it was the kind of Buffalo Bills loss that absolutely guts you. Because as it gets closer and as it gets tighter and the tension rises, everybody understands what I'm talking about, you invest more of yourself into the outcome. And then when the outcome turns sour, south, and awful like this one, uh, you're absolutely gutted. At least I was. How are you, my friend? I, um, you know, I'm not going to lie. I've gone through varying stages of, of my thoughts on this game. I, of course... I, of course, left that game initially crushed. Um, the Bills, just they just know how to lose in such spectacular fashion. Like, they can't give us, like, a 30-13 a to 13 loss where they clearly just don't have it that day and their guys just don't. They're in it because of the raw talent on this roster and some of the exceptionalism that we have in Josh Allen, which I think this week, post-game, a lot of people have forgotten about. But the talent in Allen keep us in more games probably than our execution on the field allows us. And that was one of those games. But because of that, they never lose easy. And there are just days as a Bills fan where I don't want like a signature fumble in the end zone, 13 seconds wide. I don't want those things. Sometimes I'll just take a 30 to 7 beat down, right? And call it good. I'll take my medicine. And the Bills don't deliver that. Um, so initially crushed. But as I started digging into this game a little bit more and looking at some of the stats in and around this game, it, there is there is hope, my friend. I will say that I enter this pod while still really depressed with having given up pole position for home field advantage in the AFC. It, there is there is hope here, and there are some parallels to what this team is going through right now versus what the Kansas City Chiefs, who at this same point last year we all had cooked and in the books, folks had figured out Mahomes, blah 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 blah. Um, we're at at the same point last season. I think there's some interesting parallels we can draw. So uh, I am here today more positive than I would have been if we did this yesterday. Fair, fair. And I appreciate that. I'm glad that you're going to bring the silver lining um, to the dark clouds that I'm going to dump on. Because for yeah. me, um, Alan is regressing to 2018. Uh, he was never as good as the last two years have proven. Oh my and god! It was all a fluke. Oh like I'm, I'm. The sky is falling. I'm. Oh my god! Listen, I'm, I, uh, I'm chicken little, and listen, I, I need you to pull me out of the gutter because I'm one of the Bills fans who's like, I'm not so asinine as to be like, fire Coach McDermott or Ken Dorsey's a mistake. But I'm in a place where I'm like, oh no, uh, two is clearly better at this point in time in, in some things than Josh Allen, and and we need Josh Allen to get back on his horse because holy crap. I don't Tua, want to live in that world. Tua is and always has been more accurate than Josh is and has been able to do less on the field. And I think in a lot of a lot of very, very smart people that observe the league and watch the league, Tua is going to get paid by Miami at the end of the season and he deserves it. But the assemblage of skill package players he has around him and the scheming of Mike McDaniel owe a lot more to the success of the Dolphins right now than Tua does. And I think that bears out in the stats. And we'll talk about, we'll talk way more about that when we, we do our second Finns week, when the Finns in December come to yeah. Buffalo. Um, but I think a reasonable place to start with this is Josh Allen. And I want to... I want to maybe introduce a new Josh Allenism into the lexicon of how we describe his play. There has been Sugar High Josh. There has been he's an alien, right? Alien Josh, uh, Terminator Josh. Um, he's got some dog in him, Josh, right? I want to yes. offer. Yeah. I want to offer a new description into our understanding of how Allen plays, and it's not Sugar High Josh. I've seen people pull that term out again this week and being like, "Poor decision making at Sugar High Josh." I would actually argue that we have entered the phase of Josh Allen's development as a QB where it is stubborn Josh. It is stubborn Josh that is on the field, not sugar high Josh. Yes, he is not. He is. I, I don't know that he is confusing coverages. There was a lot of talk 
you know, based on Patrick P- Peterson's uh, post-game interview on, on that final interception in the red zone in overtime, there was a lot of talk of they understand Josh's tendencies. I think Josh knows that. I think Josh knows what his tendencies are. I think he has enough confidence in the guys around him and in his raw arm strength that he can literally throw his way out of any traps that are in those tendencies. And the last three games, I think, have proven otherwise. Josh is being really stubborn right now. And to some extent, Gabe Davis, I would argue, has let him down uh, in, in a lot of ways. But most particularly, some of the incomplete routes or some of the option routes that he chooses to run that I don't think vibe with where the rest of the scheme is at right now. I think that's got to be addressed. But let's start with Josh's overall play and decision making. He came into the season with one career interception in the red zone, and he has had six in the last three games. Do I have that stat right? Two against Green. I think six yeah, total. Two this... against Green Bay. Yeah. Yep. So he had. Um, I think he's had six total red zone interceptions this year. Four in the last three weeks. Um, cause, cause he had the one, uh, in Baltimore where he targeted Gabe Davis. So there's a a couple of things happening in the red zone with the bills. Um, a lot of people are pointing to Dorsey's scheme. I, I, and red zone efficiency is this fluky thing. Only the Tennessee Titans from year to year are consistently in the top five in red zone efficiency. So many weird things have to happen in the red zone for you to be super efficient at scoring touchdowns. That's why you see the Kansas City Chiefs freaking line up Travis Kelsey under center sometimes in the red zone. Everyone's like, oh, the Chiefs are getting cute. No, they're just literally pulling stuff out of their ass to try to get the ball in the end zone. Uh, Red zone efficiency is really hard to be consistent at. But it's really easy to be inconsistent at it. And the Bills have been inconsistent with it. Now two years in a row. Last year under Dayball and this year under Dorsey. And I would argue that the issues that the Bills are facing in the red zone are twofold. One, Josh is forcing it. Two, Mm -hmm. Davis is having a really, really hard time with his route options in the red zone. Steven Ruiz at the Ringer did this great game breakdown of Josh Allen uh, that missed uh, missed third down opportunity prior to the first Peterson pick in the red zone in the second half, where you've got Davis, who's supposed to be running a deep crosser across the middle of the end zone to open up room underneath at the goal line for McKenzie. What ends up happening is um, Diggs is double covered. And as a result of that, Davis, for whatever reason, pulls up on his route and ends up crowding space right at the line with McKenzie. And it doesn't allow McKenzie to complete his route. So Josh completely misses the throw. And it looks like he's throwing into double coverage because Davis brought his defender with him. McKenzie has his, had his defender with him. But at the end of the day, Davis looks absolutely lost in the red zone. This season, Josh has thrown 10 interceptions. Six are when he is targeting Gabe Davis. And of those red zone interceptions, three are when he's countering when he's targeting Davis. So you can make the argument two ways. Yes, Josh is forcing it to Davis, but Davis's route running and route tree um, and option selection in the end zone are really a cause of, of a big part of the problem right now. Um, I've already taken up a lot of runway. There's more I want to talk about with Josh, but I wanted to start with the red zone issues because that's where those things seem most prominent. And I also think in the, in the silver linings area, that's the stuff that can be cleaned up. When you look at average separation that the Bills, Bills wide receivers are getting, only Davis is consistently getting below the league average of 2.92 yards, according to NFL Nixon stats of separation on his targets and completions, which we knew about Davis. We knew about Davis. He's not a burner. He's not a guy that gets separation. But Isaiah McKenzie is getting the same, is getting insane separation, especially in the red zone. He's averaging closer to three and a half yards. Stefan Diggs averaging about three and a half yards. Stefan Diggs is averaging the same amount of yards after the catch and average separation from his wideouts as Tyree Kill is this season. And we think of Tyree Kill as this unguardable guy. Diggs is in that route too. Dawson Knox is getting 3.4 yards of average separation on his targets as well. These guys, very good. they're open. These guys are open, right? Yeah. To get three yards of separation consistently, you have to be either an elite burner or an elite route runner. And the Bills have those guys on this unit, right? So the issue is not that they're not getting open and Dorsey's not scheming. Dorsey's scheming these guys open. 
The problem is execution. The problem is Josh, for whatever reason, focuses on the bigger target in the red zone and Davis more often than not, because I just think he's comfortable like winging it to Davis. When you look at McKenzie trying, like McKenzie's 5'8". When you look at McKenzie trying to catch Allen's ball, it looks like he's going to get knocked over. So I don't, I don't know that there's a lot yeah. of trust and, there. And right he now. has been yeah. in the past. He's he's caught he, a ball while he was in the air, and it's taken him it, off his feet. It literally, right? So. so, so I think Josh is forcing it, and yeah. he's ignoring other open guys as a result. But um, I also think that Davis is not doing Josh any favors with his route tendencies because they've become utterly predictable at this point. To me, those are the issues in the red zone. Here's the silver lining. Ken Dorsey has not pulled out the trump card yet. He has not pulled out the read option Josh Allen scripted run within 20 yards of the end zone. Allen is running his ass off on unscripted scrambles, but they have not pulled out the ultimate red zone tool that the Bills have in their toolbox, which is the scripted run to Josh Allen, which still scares the crap out of the league. And they haven't done it, and they didn't do it up at this point last season. They didn't break that out until the last six games of the season and in the playoffs. I would imagine that if you fix Davis's route running um, or you schedule him in a different way in the red zone to open it up for McKenzie and Knox and you get Josh into a little bit more of a flow with some of these scripted runs because he's going to run anyway, right? Like the Buffalo Bills coaching staff doesn't want to be blamed for his head getting taken off, right? But he's going to run in that area anyway. So why not script it to where he can scramble for the 15 or 20 and slide, right? For the love of God, yep. Josh, slide. So slide, if those two slide, things, yeah. if those two things get fixed, to me, the Buffalo Bills red zone issues are a thing of the past because their their pass catchers are getting the requisite separation. Josh is just not seeing them and forcing it into the wrong place. So I have an uh, maybe an unpopular opinion of red zone, the red zone set personnel specifically. Um, and you know, I really appreciate all the stats you've been pulling. It it kind of looks that way from the tape I've been watching. I'm watching excruciatingly play by play the all 22 both angles of every one of the Bills' losses, both of them in the last two weeks, and then the what felt like a loss against Green Bay in the second half. Mm-hmm. And um, one thing that I would like to see the Bills unleash, and hopefully it's in their it's in their playbook, and they just haven't used it yet, is replacing Gabe Davis in red zone sets with um kumaro and then using a heavy set so i I'm totally agree quentin morris quentin morris jake kumaro and um dawson knox and the heavy set pick i don't care who the running back is pick any running back but get reggie gilliam up in there like heavy set i red totally zone. agree because what we know is that especially with the pin pull concept dawson knox and quentin morris have proven that they've they've progressed quite a lot in that game in pinning the defender on the inside and then you have you know uh i know it's super tight in the red zone but you have mitch morris you have some athletic uh guys who can get out road grade you make a new you reestablish the line of scrimmage on outside the pocket and you have a running lane i mean that's what we saw on the one devin singletary touchdown um it was a pin pull concept where he just sort of scooted in for i think it was his first score uh, it was as easy as having a, a lead blocker and, and having somebody pinned to the inside, and boom, he, he just skated in. It was no problem. I think that establishing the running game down in the low red is something that the Bills need to do, and they haven't yet used all of the different personnel groupings that they can to give themselves advantages there with the blocking scheme. And I will say, too, that... Um, Again, having watched, and we're talking offense right now, having watched all of those snaps and paid a lot of attention to the offensive line, as I always do, it's this weird thing where it's not like at different times in the recent past when we could just lay it all at the feet of Cody Ford or say that Dean Dawkins was having a bad time because of COVID or, you know, anything like that. It's like the, it, it, it also almost reminds me of the Bills defense when Micah Hyde and Jordan Poirier talk about, oh, when, when this guy gets an interception, it makes me want to get an interception. I want to make the next huge play. It's like that, but the, the dark side of it on the offensive line, it's like, oh, this guy made a huge blunder and missed his blocking assignment. My turn next. It just rotates through. Like, you'll see Ryan Bates completely whiff on a block on a pass set. And then the next play, it, while everybody else holds, holds theirs up, but still Josh Allen scrambling. 
And then the next play, um, you know, it's Spencer Brown with a hold. And the play after that, it's Deion Dawkins whiffing on his assignment. And then the run play after that, it's Roger Saffold not climbing to the second level. And the linebacker scrapes around the outside and, and hits, you know, Singletary or Naheem Hines in the backfield. It's it's so weird. It's so weird because it doesn't – it's hard to watch. I watch a lot of offensive line play. We talk about it every week. And I can pick out the weak spot of almost any line. I can say that's the guy that's going to get beat the most often. And with the Bills, it's not like that. They're all capable of making huge goober plays at any time, but it's not, you know, nothing you can count on. There's no consistency, and that's their biggest problem right now, uh, for better or and worse. Yeah, I agree. I, and I and as you were going through all of that, and it wasn't in our show notes, you went off script, I was, as I was breaking down the stats and looking at the guys that have been most effective for the Bills and getting separation in red zone, I'm like, you know what we could use a little bit? more of in the red zone, less Gabe Davis and more Jake Kumaro. That's literally mm-hmm. what I was thinking. That's funny. Um, yeah. It's crazy. He's an excellent and run blocker. Yeah. He, he really is, right? But he, he is an, an effective enough – he doesn't have the catch radius of Gabe Davis, right? But he's an effective enough pass catcher to where you have to respect the run and the pass in that situation. Um and especially with Knox on the field and Quentin Morris. I mean, that gives you three really big-bodied targets in the red zone. And it, and I, I think that's what Allen really needs right now. Like, we don't often talk about this, but Isaiah McKenzie, it, they're trying to get him to fill that Cole Beasley role in a lot of ways. Now, Beasley was not a huge guy, right? But Beasley was like six feet. Like, he, he cleared... He pre- he cleared he cleared McKenzie's height um, by a few inches, but I think more than that, Beasley was a plant and go guy. Like yes, you could hit Beasley in stride, but you didn't need to hit Beasley in stride. Beasley could square up to his QB, give a perfectly square target to Allen for Allen to hit. McKenzie is a smaller square target but he prefers to get the ball in stride because it takes McKenzie a little bit longer to get up to max speed. So I see all these plays where they're trying to hit McKenzie on these crossers. He presents a small target for Allen. Allen's trying to hit him in stride, and the ball placement just isn't there. We saw, we saw uh, again, McKenzie on one of the few receptions he had in the first half almost get clear knocked off his feet by an Allen throw. Now, could Allen take a little bit off that? Yes. Does Allen need to improve his ball placement? For sure. But I think that tr- I think we have underrated the transition of Beasley to McKenzie because McKenzie just needs the ball placement in a way that Allen is not used to giving it to his slot receiver. Khalil Shakir, on the other hand, is much more comfortable getting the ball in stride or, more importantly, squaring up to his target, which is Allen. And he pre- and he presents the ability like Beasley did. One foot in the ground, decisive, and go. And he gets up to his max speed much more quickly than McKenzie does. So again, as we talk about personnel groupings, you know, the Buffalo Bills, when you look at target share, and and this is where I also want to move on to some of Allen's struggles, I, I think the easy anecdote here is that they have not been able to replace Cole Beasley. And Isaiah McKenzie has really struggled, and who thought they would have needed to rely so much on Jameson Crowder? I don't think it's just that. When you look at the target shares for the first 10 games through last year, you had um, Diggs, number one, which I didn't. I don't think would shock anybody, but he had like 69 targets at, at this point 10 weeks into the season last season. Beasley was second, was also in the 60s. Then you had Emmanuel Sanders, who was in the high 50s for target share. You had a, And then the next three guys were all in the 20s. That was Devin Singletary, Zach Moss, and Dawson Knox. The Bills are not only trying to replace Beasley, they're trying to replace Sanders' pass catches in the aggregate between McKenzie, Shakir, Knox, um, sometimes Jake Kumaro, right? Quinton Morris a little bit. And what's happened is Devin Singletary has really stepped up into that target share spot. So when you look at target shares this year through through 10, to 10 weeks, remarkably off. Stefan Diggs, 99 targets, 30 more targets than he did last season. Double the number two targeted receiver, which is Gabe Davis, with 47 targets. In games, because Davis missed a game, in games where Davis and Diggs are playing together, Allen goes to them at per target share 
close to 60% of his dropbacks. It's incredibly predictable, especially when you have a limited route runner in Gabe Davis. But that goes back to my original point that I don't know that he's necessarily has built the trust with McKenzie. The coaching staff is trying to bring Shakir along very, very slowly, it would seem, because we know that their habit is not to put a lot on their rookies. And James Cook has not stepped up to replace the target share that Zach Moss got at this point last season too. So you've only got Singletary catching passes out of the backfield, and Dawson Knox is kind of in this weird no-man's land right now. Yes, his targets are up. He had 25 at this point last season. He's got 37 at this point this season, but way down the target share list behind some of these other guys. So Allen is disproportionately going to two guys because it's not just because the Bills can't replace Beasley. It's because they haven't also been able to replace what Sanders' value in that offense was, too. Because Sanders was really their number two. Beasley was their slot option. Davis is not stepped up to fill the shoes of Emmanuel Sanders in the way that we thought he would. Yeah, I think I think you're right. And I think that the, the biggest thing about that is, is that Gabe Davis is a big play machine. And I think Josh Allen looks to him because he's got the toe drag swag and he's made some ridiculous catches to bail out the Bills at different times. And he had the legendary KC game and set a record for touchdown, receiving touchdowns in the game in the playoffs. That's all awesome. But I think you're absolutely right in the assessment of Davis as a route runner he he is predictable he is not great at choosing the the softest spot in the zone and they've really gone to rely on him as the only 1b option next to Diggs. right and it's not working it's not working in the offense right now what what we're seeing on film and, and what i've seen in the rewatches is that josh allen basically just looks at looks to the two of them and unless the the play is specifically scripted to go to Shakir, McKenzie, or Singletary underneath. I mean, occasionally he'll take a, a check down throw to Singletary. But most of the time, unless the play is scripted, he is just looking to, if, if it's a play where mm-hmm. his job is to drop back, pick apart the defense, and find the throw, it's always Diggs or Davis, just almost yep. invariably, every time. If you, it, you know, I don't know the, the play call, of course, but if you watch the, you know, watch his eyes and how his, his head moves, he basically looks to looks to Diggs, looks to Davis, lets it rip to one or the other, um, and it's either incomplete and interception, or Stefan Diggs makes a ridiculous you know catch because Dick Davis has also not been very clutch. He's he was always a clutch receiver mm-hmm. in previous years, and maybe the pressure of being that that bona fide number two is getting to him because he's had way more drops this year than he has in years past. Yep, and it's um, yeah, I mean the drops for Davis have been poorly timed but also have not improved this has always been a problem and is and we talked about his route running it's still not clean you know i think this i think you're right and i think this this now gets to you know we've talked about the limits of the personnel around Allen, but now i think it is time to get into Allen's decision making which does need to improve stubborn josh right so when you look at his it is passing heat charts throughout the course of the season you break them down week by week on nfl next gen stats you see an almost equal distribution from the left side of the field to the middle portion of the field to the right side of the field. He was spreading the ball around the boundaries and the middle of the field, keeping offensive guessing. And that lined up with how Dorsey was using and positioning McKenzie early in the season, digs with all those creative looks, um, and it was really opening things up for Davis to attack the, the deep parts of the field, middle of the field and the boundaries. When you look at the last three to four weeks of Allen's pass charts, he's almost exclusively targeting the boundaries, which is Diggs and Allen, which is Diggs and Davis, and he is going to the middle of the field a lot less. And that's Dawson Knox territory. That's Isaiah McKenzie, Khalil Shakir territory. When you look at the area of the middle of the field he's attacking the most, it's the dump down to Devin Singletary out of the backfield. That's it. So there is, and it also shows up in his time to throw. We have talked about this on every iteration of this pod. Josh is at his best when he's got a couple of quick reads and he gets the ball out in 2.5 seconds. The offensive line really can't hold up for much more than that. Allen's average time to throw this season is almost 2.8 seconds. It's 2.79 seconds officially um, on Pro Football on uh, Pro Football Reference and NFL Next Gen stats. It's one of the longest times to throw that we've seen in Allen's career. This tells you that he's looking specifically for a couple of guys, Diggs and Davis. He's almost exclusively attacking downfield at the boundaries, looking for that home run ball. 
and he's not often taking the easy stuff underneath where Knox and McKenzie are open. That is a Josh tendency deal, and that's a Josh decision-making deal that Dorsey and this team really need to look at the film of how Davis Davis has been guarded specifically over the past few weeks, and they need to... They need to get Josh back into the flow of where he was. He completed 10 straight passes in this game to six straight wide receivers in the first, to six different wide receivers in the first half. And we were like problem fixed. And then in the second half, yet again, when he was going for the kill shot, he went to his comfort food in the red zone, which is Gabe Davis, who is not his most elite elite target down there. So Dorsey and Allen really got to sit down and figure it out. But this is this is the aspect of it that is on Allen and not on the personnel and not on Dorsey. He's got to take the open targets when they're there because Dorsey is scripting these guys open and they're getting open. He's just not finding them in the right places on the field. Yep, absolutely. I think that um, I think the other thing I'll say about Allen and Dorsey and their pairing and and I think we I may have texted this to you. I know I've been talking about it with other Bills fans. Um, is that both of them are super fiery. They're fiery competitors, and I think that that has been a recipe for some disaster in a few of these games because I think that when Allen gets gets juiced up at the thought of the kill shot, I think Dorsey is egging him on as opposed to Dable, who I believe just seemed on the sidelines or up in the booth like the kind of person who would keep it calm and say, okay, no, let's calm it down. Let's slow it down. Let's get back to our fundamentals. Let's get back into the playbook. Whereas I, I could, I would not even be surprised if Dorsey was just like, no, Josh, you know, make him pay, be the reaper or whatever. Um, they said to, uh, Pat Mahomes, like, I worry about that because I think that they're both kind of built that way and there's no adult in the room, uh, when they get, get going. And, and that's why I thought they probably brought in Joe Brady, right? Like is yeah. to have another person around who can be the voice of reason with two fierce competitors. And you love that about them because it's it's going to be, they're going to make some exciting plays for sure. But also there are times where it really is, you know, I mean, the, the Patriots built a dynasty on slowly distributing the football across the middle of the field down, you know, down into the red zone and then punching it in. Like that's, mm-hmm. it's boring, sure, but that's part of what the modern NFL demands. If you want to be a successful offense, you got to take what the defense gives you and not try to force things because the CBs in this league are too good. They'll make you pay. Absolutely, 100% of the time. And it, again, it's not like the bill. You know, a lot has been made about Miami and how they can look like they can score from anywhere on the field. And I would argue that there is not a lot of difference between what Miami is doing and what Buffalo Bills are trying to doing. The main difference is in Tua's ball placement and Tua's accuracy and the scheming of Mike McDaniel. So I threw the stat at you the other and it was just a bonker stat, right? And we had the same conversation at the same time last year. Where are the Bills in pre-snap motion? Where are they in RPOs and where are they in play action? Because it seemed like at this point last year too, they were relying really heavily on Josh to make a lot of plays with straight dropbacks. Tua, 40% of his dropbacks this season through all of his starts have been either RPO or play action. 40 freaking percent. Now, some of you might be like, oh, McDaniel has the training wheels on Tua. No. He is putting Tua in a position to accentuate the strengths of this offense. And now that they have um, Jeff Wilson Jr. and a complimentary run game, that play action is going to be even more effective for Miami. What is befuddling to me about Dorsey, and specifically the second half play calling, is that they've worked very hard to establish Devin Singletary in the first half of the last two games. And they are doing butkus when it comes to play action to take advantage of that like you finally when you see guys leaking up in the box um when you see seven or more guys slowly making their way to the line of scrimmage the bills do nothing in play action to take advantage of that and open up space in the back end of the field 80 percent of allen's dropbacks have been straight dropbacks only 20 percent this season have been rpo or play action dramatic difference if for a point of comparison a guy like pat mahomes 16 percent of his dropbacks are rpo and play action but no one thinks the chiefs are running the ball ever if you've ever met andy reed that guy will buy you a sandwich he'll chat with you and five minutes in you're like that dude's never running the ball so the chiefs are like why bother (laughs) right the chiefs are like why bother um 
But the Bills have worked hard to establish the run, and then they're not cashing it in in the play-action game. And I think that's something that the Bills need to add in more. Pre-snap motion with Davis, Diggs, and McKenzie is also something that they did through the before the bye to great efficacy. And they have since abandoned in the past two games as well. They're just trying to beat dudes man-on-man, dude-on-dude. Sometimes it works. More often than not, it's not working because defenses are scheming towards those tendencies. They're scheming towards the hubris that the Bills are playing for, and they're fully taking advantage of that. Stubborn Josh, right? So Dorsey needs to do a better job of scripting balance. And when I mean balance into the game script, pre-snap motion, play action, not run on first, second, and third down, like like a Matt (laughs) LaFleur offense, right? right? But balance it out with different looks to keep the defense guessing. And they haven't done that the past two or three games, especially in the second half. They've abandoned the run and done zip with play action like they're down by 30 points every game when they're not. And these are the things that could keep Josh in a rhythm, but more importantly, keep that offense on schedule, moving the, moving the sticks. Yeah. Well, and the other thing that I think is peculiar is I've seen I've seen Bobby Hart come in as an extra offensive lineman. I think he's been he's done a fine job in that role, but you're bringing Bobby Hart in at the expense of having Reggie Gilliam on the field. That's crazy. Reggie Gilliam as a lead blocker is 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 very good that's been his strongest suit since he entered the league and i wonder you know if you're going to do a heavy set why do don't you have a fullback because the benefit of a fullback is an offensive lineman doesn't know where the lane is closing an offensive lineman will see the man in front of him he's got a very narrow view and he tries to turn that man and or push that man away or turn him in the direction that he thinks his back will open the lane that's limited the benefit of a fullback is he knows that that running back is in his hip pocket, and so he can pick and choose the lane and and open it more effectively directly in front of the running back, who then cuts off his block. And so without a lead blocker, that, that's the thing I've I've been so like, I don't know, I've been upset with their run game as they try to establish it. But and I think that one of the biggest victims of this has been James Cook because they often will put him in the backfield with Josh Allen in shotgun. Yeah. And then just pitch it or hand it off to him on a draw or towards the edge, and he's in an empty set. All that ha- like one corner, and especially against defenses that they might not have a heavy box, it might be a light box, but they're all playing zone because they want to muddle the passing lanes, mm-hmm. and so they all have their eyes in the backfield. They trigger down, and that's that. James Cook's not a huge bruiser. He's not Derrick Henry. He's not breaking through any but any CBs. So really, it's a matter of you're just setting him up to fail by putting him in those run sets. I'd like to see him with a little bit more pin and pull and maybe a lead blocker here and there because um, there's some value in it. So it is. There's a lot of scheme questions. I agree with you completely. A straight drop back is not going to hurt anybody if they just key on Diggs and Davis and wait for Josh Allen to make a mistake because we've always said he, he can have like the most accurate ball in the world like an insane throw that only two people in the world can make on one play but he his consistency has never been to make that throw every time right like he he has the capability but he's not consistently accurate and in order to just be a straight drop back quarterback with no other you know window dressing you have to be that accurate i think that um Daddy Kirk, as much as I hate to say it, he put on a clinic with that. He basically just force-fed Justin Jefferson, who had no separation, and trusted None. his guy to make the catches. And the Bills' defense did a decent job of defending Justin Jefferson, but he is mm-hmm. such a freak that he just made, he just made the catches happen, right? In impossible odds. But Kirk Cousins was really putting the ball in a good place to give his guy a chance and nobody else. Um, and he didn't need insane arm strength or escapability. He was sacked more than Josh Allen, he, but he just did what he had to. And I, I think that's what Josh Allen needs to get back to, is doing what he has to and not trying to score 30 points on every throw. And I think, I think the Bills, I mean, listen, it, Allen does so much so well. And the reason why the Bills win and the reason why they lose in such close, tragic fashion is because of his his excellence, right? But he doesn't need to be Peyton Manning pre-snap. And I see I, I see the Bills spend a lot of time at the line of scrimmage, checking play calls, doing all this stuff, Omaha, Omaha, all this nonsense, 
only to only to pitch it to Diggs or Davis or duff it down to Singletary. Um, whereas when they play with tempo, when they go no huddle and they don't allow opposing teams to to sub in their sets, especially a team like the Jets that loves to rotate defensive linemen like the Bills do, that's when they've been their most effective this season. Those t- the 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 game tying drive at the end of the fourth quarter, the two minute drill at the end of the first half. I'm not saying that you need to grip it and rip it with Josh necessarily because he can do some stuff pre-snap, but goddamn, if they don't seem bogged down in the weeds pre-snap and then post-snap, they're just going in the same place they always go. They got really creative and they got really quick and they didn't overthink it in some of those tempo sets that they played at the end of the first and second half. I would like to see more of that out of the Bills. Like, let Josh make quick decisions, not like, encyclopedic decisions every time he gets up to the line of scrimmage because at the end of the day they do have dudes who more often than not are going to beat the dudes on the other team and a tempo set that gives josh two three options coming right out of the huddle i think is probably more effective than letting josh literally just make shit up at the line of scrimmage based on what he is or isn't seeing pre-snap because that that doesn't seem to be working right now yeah I agree, and, and I think uh, I think it's time we we coined the term the J gun, uh, and just go with love that. it. Let's go from stubborn Josh to J gun Josh. We need we need a J gun yeah. offense. We need a J gun offense, and uh, they need to get that thing going right away. Um, you know, we've talked pretty tirelessly about the limitations. I think we would both agree that you know, assuming OBJ is healthy, that he would make a good addition as a savvy option route wide receiver and somebody who can like work the underneath stuff with Stefan Diggs. So it's, he's not doing it alone. Um, and you can line that, you know, really. Yeah. I was gonna say, you can line line them up at the boundary and then Gabe Davis effectively becomes your slot and really just big, big tight end compliment to Dawson Knox. I mean, get, show me a linebacker that's going to be able to keep up with Davis, right? Right now teams, because he's playing almost exclusively on the boundaries, they're putting their number one DB on him because they know he's not going to burn him. But you move Davis into the slot with the threat of an OBJ on the outside, and all of a sudden you got to put a linebacker on Davis. And I will challenge you to find a linebacker that will keep up with that dude stride for stride. Then all of a sudden you've got you've got Gabe Davis getting separation with his pterodactyl-like wingspan as well. Then you're getting yak because that's another problem the Bills have right now, and this is on Allen's ball placement. They are they are not getting yak at the rate that they were at the beginning of the season. So and a lot of that's on Allen and where he's putting the ball. But yeah, sorry, yeah. wanted to o- no, OBJ. All, yes, all, all in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all in. So yeah, there. Those are sort of my kind of closing thoughts. Um, I have already talked kind of at length about how I feel they could get the run game going a little bit more effectively. I think their sets that they're trying to run out of are not ideal. I think that if they do play action. It actually has a, du- uh, a dual uh, effect on the defense in that when you run the ball effectively, play action makes the linebackers charge the line and get out of the their drop zones for passes, which helps the pass game. But what happens is after you've hit a few play action passes, all of a sudden you're back to running and that, that linebacker is second guessing whether they should drop back into their zone or come rushing at the line. And that gives just the one second you need to establish That's a block right. or turn a body. It just works in, in tandem, back and forth, back and forth. That's the most effective yeah. use of that that kind of offensive set. But in order to do that, you need to keep personnel somewhat the same so that they don't know what they're looking at or what's mm-hmm. coming at them play by play. Um, and that's something that I think that, you know, I always criticized Dable with, and I think Dorsey inheriting Dable's scheme in a lot of ways is, is guilty of it as well, is that they sort of broadcast what they want to do by which personnel All they the bring time. in, play after play. They don't do the kind of thing you do with the J gun offense, which is you get your you know best eleven out there and you and you alternate between different play styles with the same people in different sets. Like you can move them around and reposition them in different formations, um, but keep the same group on the field for at least you know a series or two, so that the defense doesn't know. Oh, oh, Kumro's coming in. They're going to do a wide zone run play, right. or Oh, here's Bobby Hart. They're gonna try a an off tackle on the seventh hole. Like that. That's. It's just like they're very predictive. That's a real frustration for me on offense. Uh, any other final thoughts from you on offense before we flip over to defense? 
Oh God, honestly, I could talk about this offense all day. I, 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 I think I think we'll summarize with this. The improvements are not as big as a lot of panic mode Bill, Bills fans are making out this week. The improvements, of, as we have said, they're on the margins. It's getting Josh's time to throw down from 2.8 seconds back to that 2.5 range where he's distributing the ball quickly. It's um, the Bills tweaking their personnel sets to keep teams guessing. It's adding in a little bit more play action, right? It's, it's improvements on the margins. It's not wholesale changes that need to be made in order for this team to get back to its winning ways. And I think that with the offense is the silver lining that we need to keep in mind. I mean, yep. shit, they're, they're six and three. And yeah, I get, I, I, I get like we wanted them to go 17 and 0, but they have beaten all of the division leaders in the other AFC divisions. They've beaten the Ravens. They've beaten the Chiefs. They've beaten the Titans. They, they, yes, they need to win out and go four and two to win their own division, right? They've beat the yes. defending Super Bowl champs. Like they've played a majority of their games on the road. Their secondary, they've been playing with a backup secondary the entire season, and they're six in fucking three people. All right, like it's it's gonna be okay. <laughs> Meanwhile, people are roasting Von Miller for saying he had fun. <laughs> In a 33-30 overtime game that, as you noted in our show notes, is another potential game of the year because of the high drama that happened throughout <laughs> right. it. Um, and they've all been losses for the Bills, but, um, you know, the, the back-and-forth nature, I mean, sure, I can recognize how any non, non-committed, non um, you know, fan of the Bills might have found that to just be a fascinating game. Uh, it was heartbreaking for us, of course, but... Uh, but yeah, everyone's like, oh, Von Miller, his heart's not in the right place because he said he had fun in a loss. Like, that's, come on, he can have fun. He's Von Miller. Um, I will say one note yet to kind of kick us off on the defensive side of things in this, in this Viking game and the past few losses is um, Von Miller is hard to watch for me on film because Von Miller, and I'm pretty sure that this is not him being a bad player. I'm pretty sure it's him being a savvy veteran. Von Miller has exceptional pass rush moves, but if the play, he like already knows if he's in on the play or has any reason to keep his effort up, like one second after the snap. Like if they stymie his move and the and he sees the ball's probably coming out in a different direction, he literally will just stop and stand there and watch the play happen because he like and don't get I don't want people to come after me. I'm not questioning Von Miller's skill. You're questioning Von Miller's I, effort. That's what you're doing. He, yeah. He, he's Jadavian Clowney to you. This is what you're doing. He's, <laughs> no, because Jadavian, Von Miller had a couple of massively critical sacks late in that game. He did the closer thing that we've been talking mm-hmm. about for months months and months now. Um, he did the closer thing when they needed him to do some of the closer things. But at, like, like I said, I've watched a number of these games every single snap. And I think that it's interesting because he played from his preferred left side and he got stood up by one of their, you know, decent but not spectacular mm-hmm. tackles on a lot of plays in which he tried two moves real quick, neither one worked, and then he just sort of like stood there and kind of put his hands up and was like, okay, I'm going to block a pass, but the pass never came towards him. And then, or a running play where he's, this was the best part, is watching, this is something that is, I think if you're a Matt Milano fan, or if you're Matt Milano himself, you have to appreciate, if Matt Milano is in pursuit of a tackle, Von Miller stops running. Almost every time. (laughs) Even if he's six or seven yards away and is technically in the strike zone to be there in support, as soon as he sees Milano's on the case, he sort of stops to a trot or just stands there and starts talking to the lineman who is blocking him. Because he, and that's like, kudos to Milano, when you have somebody of that caliber who's like, no, he's got it. I don't need to, I don't need to pursue. It's fine. I, I mean, we've said this before. Matt Milano is our Bobby Boucher and I wouldn't want to get in Bobby Boucher's way when he's a missile on a target yeah. at that point. So yeah, man, oh, no, yeah. I, it, so I get, gotcha. Von Miller takes plays off. That's, that's what the fans at <laughs> yes. home can, can take from that. Von, yes. <laughs> JJ yeah, can, says Von Miller takes I plays off. I said Von Miller <laughs> takes plays off. And Vaughn, if you'd like to defend yourself, please come on the show. <laughs> Dear God, please. 
<laughs> we could really we could really use the boost. We need the listeners. We need the clicks. <laughs> we, could, we could really use the clickbait at this point, Vaughn. Um, if you're listening at home, um, so so that's a great segue to talk about defense. And, and for me, for me, I, I just think like we got to talk about two things: the secondary and what the hell is going on with Trey Trey White, and we got to talk yeah. about the run defense because we got Nick Chubb this weekend and then on short rest we've got deandre swift and then we've got bill gonna run it down your throat no matter what belichick you could literally you could literally line up no defensive backs no defensive backs against new england give their wideouts a free 50 yard run down the field bill would run it into an 11 man box so you've got those challenges for the bills run defense coming up so i do think it's relevant to talk a little bit about where we see the Bills run defense as a result of this game. Now, Cook burned them in the second half, and everyone's going to remember that big run. But um, Tremaine Edmonds, that happened when he went out. Edmonds and Milano together were doing a lot to compensate for the absence of Greg Rousseau, who is probably our best, if not, who's probably one of the best, uh, um, if not the best defensive linemen in run stopping. They were doing a lot to over to compensate for that. But when Edmonds went out with that groin injury, um, you could see things start to open up for Delvin Cook a little bit more. So, and then Milano didn't play in the game against the Jets, which I think also had a big impact. And then the Packers were just like, F it. We're just going to pass hand it off three times. And the Bills were expecting pass and playing with exceptionally light boxes against Aaron Jones. Oh, and, yeah. It, 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 I know it's three games in a row and three can sometimes make a habit, but they're all individually very explainable bad performances. And I have a hard time believing that the team that shut down Derrick Henry, who is now again running roughshod over everyone in the league, all of a sudden can't stop the run. So is this a scheme thing or is this a health thing? Because to, to me it feels like a health thing that they can't stop the run right now. Yeah, it, so it's... Um... It's a health thing. You're you're absolutely right. From watching it, the, you're you're right on the money. It was notably different how much room there was and how big the, the run gaps were after Edmonds was out. Um, and Milano missing, like if Milano misses any more time this year, for any long stretch, the Bills will have to come up. like basically Leslie Frazier and Sean McDermott will have to dream up a scheme with the personnel they have. In a completely different way, because replacing Milano on the field with Terrell Bernard is not going to do it. Um, he looked completely lost in the Jets game. He missed most of his run fits. He was not good in coverage. He missed a couple tackles. He is not appreciable or replaceable for Matt Milano. And I think that they gave him that chance, but I think that they probably, if, if that came up again, they'd probably actually have Edmonds run with uh, Dodson. Because Dodson didn't do terribly. Um, it's just pretty impossible to replace Tremaine Edmonds, especially in coverage. Dodson struggled mightily there. So I think it's a health thing more than anything. I think that, um, in particular, uh, DeMar Hamlin... It, it was interesting to me that they put Cam Lewis out there instead of Jaquan Johnson on defense. Mm-hmm. And I think that is because Jaquan Johnson was bullied so much in the run game. Yeah, And so I think... And Cam Lewis isn't that much bigger. I think they just he's maybe a little bit better at shredding block, shedding blockers and getting to a tackle, um, because that was an interesting change for me. It was to put Cam Lewis, who literally started being a, a professional safety um, three months ago in training camp, in place of Jaquan Johnson, who's been training in this system as a safety for years now. Um, that was interesting. And so there's a lot of different things. I think health is a huge part of it, though. You and I talked about the geometry of of um, Poyer and Hyde mm-hmm. and how they're like experts at attack angles and tackle angles um, and open Mike field Hyde. pursuit. And yeah. it's, su- it's such a huge, huge absence when neither of them are there um, in run support especially. But I, that's all to say, uh, I think Hamlin is... And he is he is excellent. He mm-hmm. he's almost as good as Milano in his young careers thus far. Yep. When it comes to if he he's on the run, it's it's lights out. Like that yeah. is it. Um, Great and really run stopping. Read. Yeah, he anticipates and reacts very very well. Um, it's really struggles incredible. a little bit struggles a little bit in coverage, but 
Yeah, no, Dan, I don't think you have anything to worry about with the Bills' defense, assuming uh, they don't have three starters out simultaneously for uh, many games, right? Like, that's the biggest problem they have right now is that, you know, Poyer, Edmonds, or Milano, and Rousseau missing, is good. that's going to be a bad day for the run every time. Yep. Yeah, Even if they 100%. try to do some funky stuff with Saran Neal, um, like they did against the, in the second game against the Pats last year, they brought Saran Neal in instead of Taron Johnson at times, um, or in place of Dane Jackson at times to shut down the edge run. They'll probably have to do that again in some games if they want to uh, scheme up for that, if they're facing somebody who's not going to pick them apart as soon as they see Saran Neal in coverage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know, seriously. Yeah, I, um, you know, I... <laughs> I'm it, it is again the Bills are six and three and they are running out Cam Lewis, Saran Neal, Dane Jackson, who listen to his credit, him and Christian Benford, they were like glue on Jefferson. And Jefferson was like Jefferson is a superstar, right? I don't want to hear yes. any of the nonsense about how the Bills should have kept the pick and got Jefferson. He's better than Diggs. That's that trades a win-win for both teams, right? Win-win. Um, but Jefferson is a superstar. His, his average yardage separation per catch was three feet, (laughs) 1.78 yard, three feet. Right. Basic. Yeah. Um, whereas the league average is, uh, is 2.9 yard. He was getting no separation, not because he can't, but because Jackson and Benford were doing such a good job just sticking to him, and that dude was pulling stuff out of thin air. Like, he built, like, if one of those Kirk Cousin fourth down passes gets dropped, the Bills win that game. But Jefferson was just not letting it happen. And you can't blame the DBs, right? And and, and that's the thing about this game. I think I think when you look at the plays where where defensively the Bills cost themselves the game, the Delvin Cook run, which let him get right back into it when the Bills could have could have potentially put him away, um, and those Justin Jefferson plays. Do I think Poyer? Do I think White? Do I think Elam make a difference on those Jefferson plays? Maybe White because he is the elite guy you look at to shut down the the team's other elite guy. But I look more at what Poyer and what Elam has brought and what Trey White bring. And run stopping. I, I I think if that secondary is healthy, that Delvin Cook run doesn't get broken for for eighty plus yards, yeah. right? Um, well, at, and yeah. The, the thing about that one, it, I'm going to interrupt you just one second. No, go the for it. The thing about know. that Delvin that Delvin Cook run. So Delvin Cook is is an excellent excellent weapon. He everyone agrees he's an he is a very good running back. Um, if if not for that one run, and I know this is you know. Um, recreating history, it's like the game the, against the, the Derrick Henry thing. It's like yeah, if Derrick if Henry didn't run, run for ninety nine yeah. yards on that one but, throw. On that one I run, mean, yeah. they kept, but that's that's real in this situation too. It it is a legitimate argument to say like if not for that that single eighty one yard run where everybody was out of position, um, you know, he only had what forty yards on thirteen carries. Yep, like, that's they bottled him up. Not they bottled yeah, him up. Yeah, that's not bad to do against Dalvin Cook. But he's he is who he is because he can break that one eighty one when they need him to, and he did. And and I agree. I think with some different if Rousseau, Edmonds, and Poyer are on the field at that time, I don't think that run happens. Um, but you know, it's neither here nor there. It happened, and so they really have to play with the players they have. And figure out ways to kind of make sure everyone's where where they need to be. Um, you know, I, I just don't. Third straight week, the Bills cannot stop the run. I think that, yeah, I, I think that kind of like you rehashed against Green Bay, it was the strange choice just of weird. Green Bay several scores down to just run into light boxes. They're going to always get production if, if they make that choice, but they're basically trading rushing yards for the time on the clock that they need. Uh, and then, you know, the Jets, Milano, period. Like, that's just it, Milano. Yeah, um, huge and, difference. And Rousseau going out in the first, you know, first mm-hmm. half of that game. Uh, and then this game, I think, yeah, it was one bad one bad fit, and that was it. Um, I think Justin Jefferson did more damage than, than Dalvin Cook. Even I with agree. That one touchdown. I yeah. agree. It, the, this defense, they just need to get healthy, and that's hard to do. And that's really hard to do in season. Which is why I think the Bills are taking it so cautiously with the way they're resting some guys. 
but you got to wonder about Trey White and what's going on there, right? What so, the hell? Is he ever going to play again? That's my I, question. I, I, well, I mean, and, and McDermott, again, was like, you know, we're, we're still going to keep him out. He's still day-to-day, like all this other kind of stuff. It, they they have to play him at some point, right? Otherwise, they got to put him back yeah. on IR, don't they? Um, I don't think that there's a rule yeah, once a player's I, activated. I don't think it's he once has, he's activated, as as he's, he doesn't yeah. have to play, right? Yeah, yeah. So like, he's on the active roster. There's no more rules. It's right. You, they you can needed just to elevate him to the active fifty-three. Yeah, you needed within to twenty-one him days to the active fifty-three within twenty-one days of coming back from from the pup list. Once they've done that, though, he is just like any player on the team. He's like Zach Moss. He could be inactive yeah. every game for the rest of the way. I find um, it hilarious yeah. that the Buffalo Bills went into this game. With Trey White not on not on the active not not in the active roster, but four running backs for a team that can't run the ball yes. on the active roster, I, I found that hilarious. Um, Against a team that throws the ball very well, <laughs> yes, yeah. right, and has an elite pass catcher on the other end, yep. and a, a real a real a really good tight end. Like Hawkinson didn't light it up, but man, has he gotten comfortable real quick in that offense. Yeah. Um, Again, Kirk Cousins has made stars out of lesser tight ends. Hawkinson's the real deal for sure. Um, they, they just got to get healthy. Trey White has got to he, – he's got – they're going up against Amari Cooper, and I get it. It's Jacoby Brissett throwing the ball this week uh, in Cleveland, but – or in Jacoby Buffalo Brissett's for Cleveland. Okay. Yeah. Amari Cooper's looked really good. Like, yeah. don't, don't you have to bring Trey White back this game, right? I mean, I, I just went I, when. I thought we – yeah, I thought you had to bring him back against the Jets. So yeah, I I'm, I'm out of my depth. I no longer know when you have to bring him back because I I was expecting to see him against the Packers. To be honest, so and, and this is where and again we trust in Bean, we trust in McDermott. The Bills are very clearly keeping their powder dry for a January playoff run, but as of today, they're zero two in the division. They've lost pole position on home field advantage. And if the playoffs were to start, they'd be the sixth seed playing on the road against Tennessee. So I get keeping your powder dry for the long run, but if you want to make that January run, you got to fucking make it to January and qualify for the tournament, right? And the the AFC East looks good. We're going to, I mean, we're going to, we know what the deficiencies are with the Jets, but that defense is legitimate. We, yeah. I, I mean, we will talk at length about Tua and the success of the Miami Dolphins. That defense can be had. And I, I still think the Patriots have feasted on a, on a weak schedule. But that front, that front seven for the Patriots is legit and is strong yeah. in the places where the Bills are weak. It is not a guarantee the Bills go 4-2 and two in the division moving forward, which I feel like is what they're going to need to close out the division. And I... Honestly, where's the where's the loss for Kansas City on their schedule? Like, other than one game against the the Chargers, which the Chargers always play them weird, and a and a, another game against the Raiders, who always play them tough. Like, what's the loss for the Chiefs? So, if you're the Bills, you got to at least win out in the division to get yourself one home game in the tournament. So again, I get keeping guys out because this is your Super Bowl window. You plan on making a run. I'm not saying the Bills are not going to make are not going to make the playoffs, but right now there's a lot of teams that are strong where the Bills are weak, and Trey White shores up a lot of those weaknesses. <laughs> like I, I, and, you got to play the dude. I, I think I said this last week. I think 85% Trey White is better than 100% almost anybody else they have in coverage. Yeah. So as as long as there's yeah, not a risk yeah. of re-injury, I don't know why you're yeah. holding him out. Well, I think that that kind of buttons up our thoughts about the Bills and Vikings game. It was a tough watch. Um, it was exciting. It was thrilling for sure. But uh, but you never like the outcome when the Bills lose a close one like that. And to see Josh Allen struggle so you know uncomfortably <laughs> with fumbles and interceptions in the red zone and stuff that like you didn't think he was going to, he was capable of. It, to be honest, he was you know Superman coming into the season. But the last three weeks have been kryptonite and. Uh, I um, really hope they get to turn it around soon and that we see a, a more confident and different approach or less confident maybe and more measured approach um, in the next uh, next iteration. So 
we're going to do a, a preview pod on Friday or Saturday and uh, talk about the, the Cleveland Browns game a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and may we win that game or lose normal because like, I'm, yes. I'm sick of, I'm sick of this losing in spectacular fashion shit. Really, really tired. The losing in spectacular <laughs> really fashion tired of it. shit will actually kill me one of these days. I will die from it. Physically yes. die from the heart failure because of it. it. Like, I can't a, have that. It's affecting our health. Um, yes. so anyway, Hope you enjoyed this. Like, share, yeah. and subscribe <laughs> wherever you get your podcast: Apple, Google, and Spotify. And as always, go Bills. Go Bills. <laughs>